up, guys? My name is Leif Farneson, and you're listening to episode 42 of the Vegan Gym Podcast. My brother and I are vegan fitness coaches and bodybuilders who started this podcast as part of our mission to show the world that vegans are strong, healthy, compassionate badasses who are leading the charge against chronic disease, animal abuse, and climate change. We've had the opportunity to help thousands of vegans reach their fitness goals, but we're just getting started. Our goal is to help 1 million vegans get into the best shape of their lives. So if you believe in challenging the status quo and showing the world how badass veganism really is, then this podcast is for you. Now in this episode, you're going to be meeting one of our super awesome coaching clients and hearing his amazing transformation story. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Today we have a very special guest with us, David Allen, who we had the pleasure of working with through our online coaching program, the Vegan Gains Academy. And uh, in the past 90 days through the program, you dropped 31.4 pounds of body fat and uh, you said a lot of inches in your waist, right? I, I don't even know how many it was. It was a yeah, lot. Yeah, Boom. a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and I also looked back at your initial uh, coaching questionnaire, the one that you uh, first set in mm-hmm. when we were uh, getting ready to work together, and your goal weight was 200 pounds. You wanted to get That's to 200 right. pounds. So what are you at right now? Uh, I'm at 185 today. Awesome. So when was the last time, like not including the past few months, when was the last time that you were actually below 200? Uh, That has not occurred ever as an adult. (laughs) Yeah. That is amazing. That's amazing, dude. Uh, So you also crushed your goal of running a sub seven minute mile. Um, I looked back through our Academy Facebook page and you actually dropped down to 621. I think that's your, yeah, that's, that's right. where you're at right now. That's right. Okay. And I, I, I'm doing a little bit better every week. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, awesome. So amazing. So you also accomplished, this is a really cool one because this is uh, the one that I think meant the most to you. Uh, you also accomplished your goal of doing your first unassisted pull up in your entire life. That's that's right. So what did that feel like? That felt amazing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you don't expect the world to look very different from the top of the bar, but it actually yeah. does a little bit. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's it, it was just very meaningful to me because um, that that was one of those things that for years and years I had told myself that not only could I not do, but I was never going to be able to do. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so when you do it, you're, you're in new territory. Yeah. yeah. And what's and, really cool is like you had that goal of one pull up, but by the end of the academy, you were able to do three consecutive pull ups. I think it was actually four or how, how many? Yeah, or five. Well, it, was, it, it was three at the end of the program. Yeah. I'm up to okay. five now, and I'm still okay. working. Awesome. I'm, I'm still working, and I'm still improving. It 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 never it's stops. Incredible. But. Yeah. And we just worked out with David today, and I saw him do some pull ups, and it looks it's perfect yeah. for him. Yeah, that's so <laughs> awesome. And and not just pull ups, but you also made some major strength gains. I was looking back at your uh, workout journal, and when you first started, you were squatting 135 pounds for five reps. That's right. And uh, and now what are you at? Uh, oh, let's see. Earlier this week, I did uh, 240 for that five is. reps. Uh, for for five reps. That's right. Yeah. That is Dang. absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, so that's I guess like four months or something, right? Four and a half. Yeah. So, like that. so I started in October, and so now we're in. Well, I guess we're in March now, but kind of kind of February. So yeah. that's like five months. Yeah. Five months. Uh, it was so impressive. The three of the program plus plus two afterwards. Yeah. yeah. 
So you've accomplished, uh, obviously, a ton in, through the Academy and beyond, uh, and you're just continuing to do that kind of um, on your own now. And uh, so in this episode, I really uh, we want to talk about um, kind of your vegan fitness journey and really kind of how you've gotten to this point. And we've talked uh, a few times before about kind of uh, your history with um, like uh, fat loss and your struggles with that and kind of um, the psychology behind uh, being overweight, overeating, having yeah. a kind of a poor relationship with food and stuff. So that's what we really <laughs> yeah, want to yeah. talk about uh, in this episode because I think that's – I think lots of people struggle with this and I think it's a really important conversation. So uh, you're just always dropping like major knowledge bombs in like our <laughs> – in, in our text messages or, or in the Facebook group that we have for the Vegan Gains Academy. So um, I know this is going to be an awesome episode. So welcome to the Vegan Gym Podcast, man. Thanks. It's an, it's an it, honor it, to have you. It's uh, it's great to be here. And you know, for for people who are listening to this, I, I've worked with Leif and Honors for a pretty long time now. And yeah. today is actually the first day we've ever met in person. So that's, yeah. that's been awesome. I feel like yeah. we've met so many times, right. but it's just been <laughs> virtually. Yeah. yeah, that's that's how it goes with like the online relationships. It's like you get to know people so well, and you see them all the time. And then you like finally meet in person. It's like, oh, like we know each other, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hell, we we sort of, sort of <laughs> meeting for the yeah. first time. I mean, hell, we we signed up for a half Ironman together, and we yeah. haven't even met in person yet. Right. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So that's coming up in August. But uh, there's a there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about, kind of like leading up to mm-hmm. to where you are now, because I think uh, your story is just so awesome. So. Um, I know that we covered a bunch of your accomplishments, uh, like stuff that you've accomplished in the past five months, but I want to back it up a little bit um, and really fill in kind of more of your story so sure. uh, listeners can get some context. Um, so for one, you're, um, you're, a, well, you're 40, 40 years old, right? That, that's right. And you're a father of two kids, mm-hmm. right? And you're a software engineer and you're also um, a, a marathon runner. You've been doing that for kind of a while, right? Yeah. And I, now I, lifter. <laughs> I, I, I've run, I think, six marathons uh, yeah. o- over the course of a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like that was kind of your training history. Um, and before you started working with us, you were kind of like just starting to get into weightlifting and realizing um, that the marathon running, like doing tons of cardio, wasn't necessarily helping yeah. you to achieve your uh, kind of physique goals. That's right. I, in, in a couple of years before I got attached to the academy, I had done a lot of running. I mean, it started off with just around the neighborhood, and then it built up to 5Ks and 10Ks, then half marathons, then full marathons. And throughout that entire process, I thought of running as a uh, really great form of exercise, get myself healthy, but also a major way to burn calories. And I kind of equated uh, doing a lot of running as and, and, and losing weight as the same thing, right? Yeah. So obviously, like, if I'm going to be burning a big pile of calories, then I'm going to be losing a lot of weight. Right. And that worked for a while. When I was at my heaviest, I did manage to drop a lot of weight um, uh, with running. But at the same time, even through marathon training, I kind of found that – uh, if I had a bad diet, I could actually pick up weight in the process of, of doing all of this crazy marathon running, right? So yeah. I had about a two-year period where I I trained for a fall marathon, and then right after the fall marathon was finished, I went straight into training for a spring marathon. And so I was running probably anywhere from 40 to 50 miles a week um, for a year and a half or so. And 
in that net process, I mean, I don't even know how many calories I burned doing that, but in that net process, I gained weight. And it was um, kind of teaching me, although I was not really admitting my, to myself until much later, that you can't outrun a bad diet. Right. Yeah. It's it's so true. And people people do like tons of cardio because, yeah, it can it can increase your calorie expenditure and yeah. and you can burn calories. But at the same time, it's very easy to actually eat back those calories. Absolutely. Some groups of friends who were runners, they used to like to go out for beers afterwards, you yeah. know. And so sometimes what we would do is, you know, you get these craft beers and this big, you know, peanut butter porter or whatever it's going to be right and they don't realize that a pint of that beer has say 300 calories and then they have a person of an average weight who goes and runs and puts a solid hour in but then they go drink three of these peanut butter porters and they not only wiped out all the calories that they burned from running but added some on top of that then uh you know enjoyed some nachos or whatever else yeah. on top of that and so if you would look at it from a straight calories in calories out perspective they were way worse off than than where they started right. and i found that you know you get into this kind of psychology where if you're running a whole lot and burning a huge number of calories you're constantly giving yourself permission and saying well i worked really hard yeah. i ran 15 miles today so Bring on the cake, bring on whatever, (laughs) right? It doesn't matter because, you know, you know, in terms of calories burned, I've outdone everybody out there. So I would be able to eat whatever I want, except that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's totally not true. And, um, and I think it's, would you say it's fair to say that you've kind of been struggling with, uh, your weight kind of your whole life? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's fair to say. I mean, I think that that's, uh. That's a, a, a lifelong thing that I've had since since I was a kid, and uh, I think that that's going to continue too, right? So over time, I get better at dealing with it. Um, I get more effective at dealing with it, but I think that's just, uh, for better or worse, a part of who I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we're going to get into a little bit more about exactly uh, kind of like how you deal with that and kind of your strategies and stuff, but what really struck me from day one of working with you in the academy is your just incredible level of dedication and commitment um and uh and i think you you built that up even like throughout the academy like that even uh definitely kind of built went up, to another yeah. level but you still started with like such a, an incredible level of commitment um i uh, and and i i know the frustration as well not necessarily from uh being like overweight my whole life but i know the frustration of putting in lots of time effort and commitment and not really seeing any substantial results so mm-hmm. Um, how did that really kind of affect you mentally? You mean to put the energy in and not see the yeah, results? Exactly. I mean, prior to joining the Academy, uh, it, it, it just, it created and developed in me a sense of hopelessness and yeah. I shouldn't even try. Right. Because if you put this commitment in and you put all of this energy in and you feel like you're doing the right thing, you might not actually be doing the right thing, but you feel like you're doing the right, right thing. You're just pouring all of your energy into this hole and it feels like a waste and it's demotivating and it's discouraging. And I mean, why should you try if that's what your experience is? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what what it felt like. What kept you going? Uh, Being sick of it. Yeah. Um, 
okay, uh, being emotionally convinced that, you know, bad diet and heavy weight would eventually kill me yeah. if I didn't do something about it. I mean, I, I was still young enough and healthy enough that I wasn't suffering major consequences yet, but I could see people out there and I know how this stuff works from a biological perspective and it will kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that that's very important to underscore, like just how dire the circumstances are long term. I mean, so that was part of it. And then part of it was just, you know, being fed up and and, and lacking the control to have the diet that I wanted to have and feeling like I was out of control with that situation. And what kept driving me forward was uh, how much I hated that. Yeah. Yeah. So so what ultimately kind of um, pushed you to apply to our academy? Like you were you had been trying to diet previously. You mm-hmm. had been doing tons of running uh, with the hope of becoming more competitive yeah. uh, in marathon running, but also, um, I presume, to lose weight and improve yeah. your physique. Like That's that was right. probably the prime driver behind that. So what was your real reason why? Why did you apply to the academy and yeah. kind of what what motivated you to do that? So these things are like not entirely continuous. There there was a period of time where I was doing all of this running and I never really stopped running, but I backed off of marathoning a little bit and I kind of got to a point where I'm like, oh, who cares? I'm just out of energy. Like I'm not going anywhere anyway. So I may as well sort of let myself go and then not let myself go, but just sort of give in to the fact that I couldn't seem to improve this situation. So that went for a number of months. And I remember coming home from this cruise. I went on a vacation cruise with my family. And I don't know if you guys have ever been on a cruise, but dietarily speaking, they're about the worst place you can possibly be on planet Earth. Yeah. And coming back from that, I just felt heavy and slow and sick of the whole situation. And so that kind of really lit the fire under me to try to figure out some way, any way that I could to try again. So I went to a local gym, got a trainer, got started on some some basic weights. The trainer started to tell me, Uh, you know, you should probably be eating some more protein, but like in vague general terms, like more protein is good, but not a target, not a plan. Right. Yeah. And, um, I had committed to a vegan diet. That was something that really worked well for me. And I started to realize that I just didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know which exercises to put together in which order. And I didn't know how to get protein as a vegan. So I'm in the gym one day and I'm flipping through and I'm looking for a podcast that I can listen to. And I found this podcast. And I think one of the early episodes I was listening to that I recommend to other people is the one about uh, vegan protein sources, vegan protein quality and so on. And uh, I started to get get some science, right? Yeah. <laughs> started to get some We're understanding. All about science, yeah. Right. I started to get some understanding of how you do this. And then, so I listened to that. And I listened to the podcast. And I wasn't really thinking about call, calling you guys. And after a couple of months, I had listened to a bunch of other podcast episodes. I'm like, eh, you know, these guys might actually know a thing or two. So I went <laughs> to the website. And I'm like, sign up for a free consultation, I think what it was. Yeah. And so I said, eh, you know, what's the worst that could happen, right? Right, yeah. So then I got connected with Anders, and he called me and ran through some questions about intake. And actually, at that point, I don't think that I was aware of the existence of the Academy. I just knew about the podcast, and I knew that I was talking to this guy who was on it, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, he described what the Academy was, and I, I, I was sick of my current situation. I thought, these guys have some good information. I was starting to see the beginnings of some progress by even kind of halfway going down this path. Yeah. And so basically what he was offering me was, uh, you want to go 
like whole you all the way down this yeah. path and i was like yep <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it started yeah awesome so we talked about your major wins through the academy uh but let's look beyond kind of the numbers for a second um, and I think, uh, I know you've shared this story with us a few times, but I think one of the biggest wins, or at least that I've kind of seen through your eyes, uh, was the way that your, uh, kind of family, uh, witnessed your transformation. And I think the most telling, uh, example of that is, uh, what your, what your nephew, uh, said to your sister. So could you tell us, uh, that story and, sure. and, uh, give a little, uh, give our listeners kind of the, the background there? So my nephew is about 10 years old, um, my sister's son, and uh, they went and saw Aquaman. And after the movie, he asked his mother if Aquaman was a vegan. And she was <laughs> kind of confused by this question. She said, why would you think that Aquaman is a vegan? And he said, well, because I've seen, you know, Uncle David, he, he basically became a vegan and developed all of these muscles. <laughs> and so I was looking at Aquaman and it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. And... um. I mean, it was kind of like a like a funny misunderstanding that a child has, and yet at the same time, it kind of shows you how when when you do something positive and you transform yourself, it affects the people around you, even if you don't intend that to be the case. Yeah, right. And I mean, it's it's very it's very gratifying to be um, uh, uh, a positive role model in that right. way. Yeah. 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 It's so, so cool. It's, and you've seen uh, you've seen that as well with your your kids, right? Well, that's something I'm I'm trying to do with my kids. Yeah. Rather than tell them that that good diet and exercise is important, right. uh, don't tell them anything. Just watch me. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Um, and I, I figure I I think that that human beings learn, particularly when you're really long, young, you learn by observation of the adults. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you figure out how to be a person in the world? Yeah. Well, you look at your best closest examples, and you copy them. Right. Yeah. All right. And so it's important for adults to be a good template for kids in that way. And rather than me giving them lectures about the importance of protein or why you need to, you know, why you need to exercise in order to be healthy, just like don't tell them anything. Just like I'm going to I'm going to lead my life the best way that I know yeah. how and let them watch. Yeah. And, and they'll ask those questions as they see you uh, changing yourself, yeah. you know, and trying to mimic you as well. And, yeah, right. So, like, well, they, they, they come to understand just by watching that diet and exercise can produce results and can produce, you know, health and strength. Right. And so. Uh, you know, my hope is that growing up, like because they sort of see that proof, they don't they don't even think twice or question oh, yeah. about that. That's right. not going to be something that they need to learn because it's what they were exposed to. Exactly. Yeah, that's so powerful. So let's um let's shift gears a little bit and kind of uh, talk a little bit about the uh, psychology of food and uh, and fat loss. So um so over the course of your life, what's kind of been your relationship with food? It's been it's been awful. Um, I think my relationship, so I, I understand these things in very different terms now. I think, uh, my relationship with food most of my life was very emotionally driven, right? And so you've got a lot of people out there in the world who are telling you, sending you these messages about you deserve, treat yourself, you yeah. know, you need to relax. This is a special occasion. And so I feel like food is described and talked about in very emotional terms. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people, and I put myself into this category where if you're stressed, what's the release? Food. Yeah. Right? If you need to relax, what's the, you know, how do you do that? By treating yourself to something nice. If something positive happened in your life, like you got a raise, or you got a promotion, how do you celebrate? 
yeah. with cake and with ice cream yeah. and with beer or whatever the case may be. And so the relationship with food is that it's completely tied up with emotion. And it's a way you relieve stress. It's a way you uh, treat yourself for doing something good. Uh, it's it's all of those things, right? And over time, what I'm trying to do is completely separate it from emotion and look at it more as uh, fuel for the body, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's been very difficult because I think people need to understand that that is completely pulling in the opposite direction from the broader messages that, that culture and society is sending, yeah. right? So um, you probably all have friends who will say, Oh, you had a hard day. You had a hard week at work. You deserve. Okay. So particularly this word deserve. Right. And it started to almost make me a little bit angry. It's like I deserve to meet my goals. I deserve to be healthy and happy. I do not deserve cake. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, Wow, that's powerful. I love that. um, And but it's just a way of putting it in very emotional terms. Right. And um. I think that's also why it's so difficult for people to go through diet sometimes because if you have a lot of stress in your life and your relationship with food is one that uh, it's a way that you relieve stress, okay? This is a person who's going to have a really hard time dieting and cutting calories because they're still going to have stress in their life. What yeah. do they then do with that, right? So you have to develop some other kinds of, of psychological skills to – uh, to treat yourself when you do something well, to celebrate, okay, to be close with your family, to celebrate, to celebrate a birthday, right? Um, uh, to relieve stress, uh, to improve your mood if you've had a crappy day, right? Uh, if you don't have some alternate strategy to substitute out for the food, you can't just take away all of those things. You're still going to have all of the same psychological needs, and then you're going to go into that diet, and it's going to feel awful. And it's going to feel grinding because there's this gap. There's this missing thing in your life yeah. that you haven't replaced, yeah. right? And so that's where like the relationship with food comes in and why it's going to be hard for people like me uh, to go on a diet uh, without thinking through how it fits into their emotions and what they're going to do differently to satisfy those needs because those are still very real needs. Yeah, yeah, that's I I love that. This is so true. <laughs> so so you bring up you brought up an interesting concept uh, on numerous occasions when we've been talking, um, and that's the difference between what you call mechanical fullness and mm-hmm. satiety. So um, eating to well, I guess I'll let you kind of describe sure. what both of those are. Um, and then kind of explain the difference in how and how you were kind of approaching it uh, previously versus uh, what you're working on now. Okay, so if you're a really heavy person like I have been at many points in my life, you'll sometimes you'll see normal people, people of normal weight, and they you know they order a big dish at a restaurant and they eat half of it and then they push it back and they say, oh, I'm full, I'm good, right? And then they don't want to continue eating. They have reached satiety where basically – some hormone in their body or something in the way that their gut feels is telling them, I'm good, I've had enough. Okay? Yeah. Um, I think, I, I can't speak for everybody, but just for myself, mechanical fullness is when you are not really monitoring any kind of feel inside of your body, but what you're doing is you're literally physically packing food into your stomach, and when the stomach is mechanically full, as in it is an actual bag and you can't put anything more in it, Okay, that is mechanical fullness. And typically mechanical fullness is way past when uh, a a person of normal weight would feel satiety. That's the difference. Yeah. 
So, um, so previously you've really eaten to mechanical fullness yes. and what has been the process of you shifting, um, and, and focusing on food being, um, a source of energy and focusing on satiety and not mechanical fullness. Like how have you yeah. gone through that process yourself and, uh, and what kind of strategies do you think are kind of required for accomplishing that? So I, I, I think it's very complicated in an individual, and I, I'm, I'm more than happy to share like what I did. Yeah. But I think that uh, everybody's life is a little bit different, and they have to in, they're going to have to invent some strategies that are going to work for them, right? Um, so in the very beginning part, um, eating less than what you really want, there's just no way around it. That's not terribly comfortable. OK, yeah. because it gives you different feels in your body yeah. and it's not what you want to do. And it's working against all of your habits and patterns. And that's that's just not fun. Yeah. OK, I think for me, uh, an important part was trying to understand how food fit in and what uh, purposes it was serving for me. Uh, like, for example, stress release. Mm -hmm. OK. And so how, how strange of a concept is this? Right. You can't just diet. Right. But you need to have stress reduction strategies. Right. And so what am I going to do to relieve stress when I get stressed? I need to come up with an alternate strategy to displace the eating, right? Because if I don't have another way to release stress, then I'm just not going to be able to comply with the diet in the long, yeah. in the long run, right? right? And so for me, that was like taking long walks and listening to podcasts was a key strategy because that was something that I enjoyed doing that allowed me to sort of detach my brain a little bit, right? Um. I think that not putting myself in situations where I was eating, where I was going to be surrounded by a lot of triggering foods was very key. So there are certain kinds of foods that I had real problems with eating in moderation, right? And so uh, for, for me, that's usually not the salty, fatty stuff. It's usually the sweet stuff, yeah. right? So you might uh, – there's going to be a lot of people out there who say, well, if you eat just a little bit of candy, okay – um, as long as the macros fit, as long as it's an appropriate number of calories, you can fit that in. Don't go overboard. It, it doesn't mean that you never have to eat candy again. Look, everybody gets to make this decision for themselves, but for me, candy is not appropriate because when I start to eat the candy, it's kind of like uh, triggering for me, and it just makes me want to eat right. more. And so like, it takes just a little bit of willpower to not start eating candy, but it takes a massive mountain of willpower to stop eating candy once I have started. Yeah. yeah. And so it's easier to not start. And so when people say, you know, why don't, why don't you ever eat candy? Like, why don't, why don't you treat yourself? Like, you're working so hard. So the way that I'm thinking about that increasingly is that, first of all, they're speaking again in emotional terms. They're inviting me to treat myself because I'm working so hard. That's already wrong. Right. All right? And then the second thing is, is that they're like, they're they're offering me the first f first couple of steps into the quicksand pit, right? right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, they're like and guiding I'm only, you in. <laughs> yeah, and I'm only going up to my ankles, and it's not that bad, right? right? Except I know what's going to happen next, right? And so I think that part of the magic is not being such a a, a, a fantastically strong-willed person that you always make the right decisions. For me, it's more like understanding how you got into the bad situation and then not putting yourself in that situation to begin with, right? Yeah. So uh, earlier today we were talking about um, HALT. Do you remember? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So HALT is this idea of hungry, angry, lonely, tired, which is H-A-L-T, right? And so for a lot of people, if you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, that's going to trigger whatever negative part of your personality, whatever bad behavior it is that you're trying to avoid, right? Yeah. And so... 
um, in terms of thinking about, you know, setting up systems to prevent us from getting into bad situations, hungry. All right. So in the, in the, uh, academy, one of the things that we do is my meal plan had like five meals a day. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I never ate to mechanical fullness, but even when I was at a caloric deficit, I can never say that I was really all that hungry. Right. Because it was never more than a couple hours away from when I was going to be eating yeah. again. Right. Okay. So angry is a tough one because we all get angry. Okay. But there it comes to what other strategy are you going to have that's good for your life to diffuse your anger or to allow you to channel it in an appropriate way, right? If you want to get angry and then go out for a hard run or lift heavy weights, that, that's, that's a, a very good way to channel your anger, yeah. right? You know, when I was a kid, if I got really, really angry, I'd go out and chop wood because you could like yeah. really lay into it, <laughs> yeah, you're right? right? You're not hurting anybody, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Loneliness. Okay. Like loneliness is, is, is another word for nobody else is around and you have no accountability. Nobody can see what you're doing. Okay. And so if you're ashamed of the way that you're eating or you're ashamed of some negative behavior that's in your life, you don't want to be lonely because you're low in accountability. And that's when those behaviors are going to creep out and you're going to tell yourself nobody has to know. Right. Right. All right. And then tiredness. There's that T. It's just that if you're tired all the time, if you're not sleeping right, then you're sapping yourself of this mental energy. And it's that mental energy that you're going to use to have the willpower to not do the bad thing. Exactly. So if you're tired and you're not sleeping, you're setting yourself up for failure a little bit. And so for me, like, it's not about the bad behavior and having the iron will to not do the bad behavior like overeating. Okay. It's about all of the things that happened just before and trying to not be in that situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love that. You you mentioned at one point that you think um, bad relationships with food uh, can definitely fade over time, and that's something you can actively work to to accomplish. Uh, but you you're not so sure that that ever completely disappears. Is that still how you feel, or um, or what what are your thoughts on that now? Uh, so I'm I, I'm not a psychologist. This is just my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, I think it's baked deeply into your personality, and at least for me, I don't think that I'm ever going to be rid of it. Okay. So I think that it's it's a set of behaviors and patterns that you learn when you're really really young, and um, it's just baked deeply into your personality, right? So uh, I if if you think about ways that you have been ever since you were a small child, all right. Um, and then you think about the behaviors in your life that you can change, right? Maybe you're a night owl and you want to become an early riser. You can change that. Right. All right. Can you fundamentally change your personality or who you are? Uh, I think that's, that's a little bit tough, right? And I think accepting that it is a long-term thing, that it's just baked into who I am and that I need to figure out how to manage it and deal with it is also freeing in a way because it steps away from the magical thinking of, Oh, I'm just there's there's this book that I'm going to read and I'm going to follow 12 steps and then it's right. going to all magically resolve or there's a certain food or diet plan that I'm going to get on that's going to completely change my psychology and it, that's not been my experience of how it works, right? Yeah. So, um I I've always loved this particular quote it was by a famous cyclist and I feel like it applies to um fitness and weightlifting and also the the food struggles is uh was it was it Eddie Merckx or uh, another cyclist? But he said like it never gets easier. You just go faster, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and so the idea is like you're never gonna get to the top of the mountain where you get to coast and where it becomes easy. Yeah. Um, 
you're going to always put in that effort. It's always going to be difficult. But in return, you're going to get better and better and better. And so, like, you know, just to create another comparison, like earlier in my life, I was a smoker and I smoked a pack a day and I quit. And quitting smoking was brutally difficult. Um, and now today, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said that the idea of a cigarette isn't really cool. Like, I'd love to smoke a cigarette right now. Yeah. It's way off of my path, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And as time has gone on, it becomes easier and easier and easier to resist that temptation. And I'm not seriously concerned that I'm yeah. going to end up right. smoking right. tomorrow, right. right? But in the back of my head, like, the allure of it, the understanding of how good that felt, I don't think that's going away either. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've proven through your own journey that you can have those temptations, whether it's smoking or whether it's kind of like a food addiction. You can have those temptations, but you can still actively work to uh, push yourself beyond those and to really build in kind of a, a new identity to kind of the best of your ability. Yeah, so I absolutely. I think that's really powerful. And I would just say like the, the, the trick for me has not been having stronger willpower than other people. Or having triple the willpower as I used to have a year ago. It's setting up structures in my life to avoid being in tempting situations that are going to play to all of my weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we'll get a little bit more into kind of your shredding tips because I pulled together five um, of your shredding tips. And I actually haven't showed you these yet, but but you've already come <laughs> up with them. So so you're well uh, aware of them. But I, I want to start here and um, and ask you this question. What is the most difficult aspect uh, of shredding fat from your perspective? Is it, is it all mental? Is it physical? Uh, what, what is really difficult about it for you? I think it, it, it's mental. Yeah, it, it's just, just totally mental. It's mental. And changing your relationship with food is not something that ever happens overnight, like flipping a light switch. You, uh, it, it's more like you walk a path. And you do a certain set of things and you come to find that over weeks or months, you're suddenly thinking and feeling differently. Yeah. Okay. But there's not a clear moment and there's no light switch moment. Aha. Yeah. I've arrived. It's just an increasing sense of how you want to be, you yeah. know. But I think it's it, the, the difficult part is, is mental. Um, if you can gain control over what your thoughts are and how you're feeling, you can do whatever you want at the exactly. end of the day. But it's these defeating beliefs in the background and these defeating behaviors and like your tendency to, to kind of give in or, or say, Ugh, you know, I can't do this. This is hopeless. This is a waste of time, right? That sort of negative self-talk, that's the, the biggest enemy. Yeah. yeah. So in the in the academy, I've heard you touch on all three of these things, but but there are really three key pillars that we focus on in the academy. So you have you have mindset, which is huge. That's what you're just talking about here. You have strategy, which is the actual like what do I do to accomplish the results, like as far as my training and nutrition go. Mm -hmm. And then you have accountability. And you were talking about like loneliness before and if you are lonely, you don't have somebody to hold you accountable, like that is super important as well. So um so we found, I think you would definitely agree as well, Anders. Like, I think, I think it really is mostly uh, mental, especially when it comes to yeah. shredding. Like, yeah. and bulking can be kind of mentally challenging as well. Well, especially for me because I right. can't even shovel in food because yeah. my stomach's so small. <laughs> yeah, we kind of like switch off. Like, I I have way more trouble shredding, and you have yeah. way more trouble bulking. But... Well, and and uh, I've I talked with this to to everyone. I think everything comes back to your mentality because that's something that I really uh, found out in the military, you know, and I realized that everything is a struggle 
if you make it a struggle. Mm-hmm. And you can push yourself through things, but it's the uh, limiting beliefs within your mind that are saying like, oh, uh, I don't know if you can do this. And then that gets to you. So I, I hands down, 100% mindset is everything, you yeah. know, and, and it just helps to have obviously the right strategy and right. the right accountability. Yeah, you it need does. that stuff. Yeah. You definitely if, yeah. need that stuff. If you have the mentality and you have the right goals, but your strategy is no good. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. That's when you get stuck in the, the, the trap of pouring in lots and lots of energy. Yeah. Yeah. And not getting anywhere, it's because you you've got the wrong strategy, right? And that will rob you of your mentality. Yeah, right. right? Exactly. It, it, you that's can, a great way of will, saying it. Yeah, that will deteriorate over time. Yeah. It's like once you've tried and tried and tried, and you're putting forth that effort, but you're yeah. not seeing the results. Like that is so mentally defeating. And so you got these three pieces, and they're all sort of self reinforcing, and they kind of all go in this weird circle. It's very difficult to explain yeah. unless you've experienced it, right? But just as you can have a bad strategy and it can destroy a good mentality, you can actually have kind of maybe a weak or shaky mentality. And if you have good goals and good execution and a good strategy, you'll start to see some success from that and it will strengthen your mentality. And I think so. I mean, another way of thinking about this is I've often kind of thought that like all human beings in their behaviors are caught in loops all the time. You get to decide whether it's going to be a virtuous cycle or whether it's a vicious cycle, but you're going to be in a cycle either way. Right. You know? So true. All these things sort of feed back into each other. So um, you don't have to have the greatest, strongest mentality. To your point, like my mentality changed and improved a lot in the course of uh, the academy. And looking back on it now, I'm thinking that's kind of – that's probably part of what happened is I finally got the right strategy. And I started to see results, and I had goals that I cared about for the first time. Yeah. And then I started to see some results from that, and then that positivity fed back into strengthening the mentality, which made it easier to comply with the strategy, and around and around and around yeah. and around yeah. it right. goes. Yeah, they're all self-reinforcing. That's right. Which is so incredibly powerful. Sort of like it's self-reinforcing on the negative side. Oh, yeah. If you drink a lot of beer, you feel awful the next day. You feel awful, so you need to treat yourself so you have some cake. Right. So now you feel heavy. Now you don't feel good about yourself. And what are you going to do on the the very next night? Go have some more beer. Yeah, exactly. And around and around it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I really think in life, whether it's your fitness or whatever, you're either – progressing or you're heading in the wrong direction like it's i think it's pretty much impossible to be plateaued and just be like staying the same it's like you're either you're either improving your life or Mm -hmm. your life is getting worse or you're improving your fitness or your fitness is getting worse your diet is improving or it's getting worse so yeah i think i think having all those three together is what really makes success because so often in the fitness industry like this is one of our like major issues with the fitness industry is that they're hyper focused on strategy yeah it's like hey get my free like workout plan like like download this workout plan and get an apex or get my 37 (laughs) dollar meal plan or something and it's like they just want to show you like this is this is exactly what you need to eat and how you need to train and then they forget like there's a huge part you're missing two-thirds of it you're missing the mentality you're missing the mindset that's right missing the accountability and um i think that goes a long way to explaining why a lot of the fad diets fail i mean exactly if, if you have a fad diet and you put yourself on a caloric uh, uh, deficit, in theory, it's going to work, yeah. right? 
But if you don't address all the other pieces of your life, it's it's sort of like a stool with only yeah. one leg, right? And it's <laughs> right. never going to yeah. stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? That's a great now, analogy. I love it's, that. It's not that the diet is bad. I mean, you can scientifically prove that some of these diets are actually quite good. And if you eat at a caloric deficit, you can't argue that. It's going to work, right? Yeah. But they can't comply. Yes. They can't stick to the diet because of all those other missing pieces. Yeah. yeah. So true. Yeah. I love that. So let's get into um, David's top five fat shredding tips, which uh, I know you haven't seen yet, but but you uh, you made up. So cool. Right, so we're gonna get into. I'm that. in the same boat and, as you, dude. And I want to go through each one, sure. uh, so you can just kind of like fill in a little bit of the gaps and stuff, because I think that these five things are are really kind of um, they're important and they're things that we don't talk about too much uh, in the podcast. So. Um, so obviously this is the, these are the kind of things that go beyond, like you need to be in a calorie deficit or you need to be eating a lot of protein and stuff. It's more of like, um, how to execute when you're struggling, how to kind of like push through that stuff. So, um, the first tip that I've gotten from you kind of in our conversations is that, uh, is it's actually an idea that you, uh, talked about a little bit ago in the podcast. It's this idea of lowering the amount of willpower that it takes, uh, to say no by never putting yourself in bad situations to begin with. Totally. Yeah. So I absolutely love that because um, it we've said that in kind of different ways, but I love I love this idea that you can actually lower the the difficulty for uh, yeah. kind of like staying consistent by just never even. Uh, putting yourself in in a bad situation. So, for example, you said like um, never going out to dinner or something. If if right. that's like if that's a trigger, or saying I'm never going to eat like a, a some sweets because if I eat a little bit, then I've got my ankles in quicksand and yeah. it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Right? So um, so the more you do it correctly, the easier it gets. That's and, definitely And true, I think yeah. that's I think that's incredibly powerful. I, imagine the opposite of this, right? Think about dieting on hard mode, all right? You got three hours of sleep last night. You're really stressed out because of some awful things that are going on at work, right? All right, and if, uh, you, you missed lunch because you were working too hard, and a friend invites you out to dinner, and you know that where you're going to at this dinner has all of your favorite foods, yeah. okay? Now, suppose that you're a person of above-average willpower. What do you think your chances are of eating reasonable portion sizes at that meal? Exactly. So you are set up for failure. Right. Right. And we, we, we see, we do this to ourselves all the time. And then typically we beat ourselves up for not having enough willpower to do the right thing. Yeah. And, uh, you're, it's like, you're playing, you're playing diet on hard mode. Don't play on hard mode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah play on, play on easy mode. <laughs> or at least easier. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Maybe not easy. Yeah. So that's that's actually a very similar concept to uh, one of our recent podcasts where we were talking about momentum. It's like as soon as you start building that momentum, that can either go in a positive direction or a negative direction. If you if you take the first step into doing something that that you know isn't in line with kind of your your health and fitness goals, and you know it's not serving you in any way or your body in any way, like once you start down that path, you can, you can easily start building up momentum in a negative direction. Or Definitely, you can yeah. say, no, I'm not going to do that. And then you start building positive momentum. So Definitely. I think that's incredibly valuable. So thank you for that first tip. <laughs> now, the second tip, uh, which is kind of similar, um, is something that you said in one of our recent calls. You said 
uh, get comfortable saying no to Aunt Edna's pie. <laughs> so so I love that idea because it's not um, – it's it, it. I guess it's, it's kind of um, – a very similar thing to what we just discussed in the last tip, but it's um it's at, like specifically saying being comfortable saying no in like um family and friends settings. Yeah. yeah, I think this ties to the culture too. So you you got to understand that amongst family and friends, that food is a big way that they show love. Yeah, yeah. and that they show uh, acceptance and reward. And I think that this is really socially difficult. So we touched on this a little bit earlier. I started to not meet my friends out for dinner, but I would meet them for a run or I'd meet them for coffee right? or something else that was not entirely centered around food, like maybe we could go for a walk together. Because if you think about it, there's no reason that every single social interaction should be dominated by food right. at every single yeah. moment, and yet somehow it really is. It right? is, yeah. And so get comfortable saying no to this sort of thing is also, I, I mean, you're going to be slightly out of step with culture and with your friends, and they're going to think that it's like a little uncomfortable at times. Right. And I, I, I really did struggle with this, but you you got to stand up for yourself and just do it, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's really cool that you, you provide other options, though. It's like, hey, yeah. I, I would still love to hang out with you. Yeah. Let, let's go for a walk. Yeah. And it's not just like cold no. Yeah, right. You don't you, say no. Like exactly. You don't want to cut yourself off socially or anything like that. But you want to choose choose your battlefield, so right, to speak. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. And you want to not meet them in places where you're fundamentally weak, like particularly, you know, you know, some of your friends. Right. You have very uh, emotional conversations with or like right. very animated conversations with. And that's just sort of like strengthening that pairing of food and emotion that you're trying to get get free of. Yeah. yeah. So how can people who struggle with saying no, especially like to Aunt Edna or someone else in their family, like how can people who struggle with that but don't necessarily want to just like sit in their room all day and skip all family events, like yeah. how do you deal with that or how have you dealt with that and how how might someone else deal with that? Be proactive and plan around other activities, right? So uh, you can – uh, ask your friends to go to an art museum if that's your thing yeah. or go for a walk or just basically really any activity uh, that's not meeting for lunch, breakfast, dinner, or centered around food, yeah, right? Yeah. So see them as much as you want and you need to sort of take more initiative in your social interactions um, because if you sort of sit there, then because this is everybody else's standard mode, then when they're going to invite you out, and they will because, you know, you want to see them, right? Right. They're going to invite you out for dinner, for drinks, right? Yeah. And so you want to do like a little bit of a preemptive strike, I guess, and yeah. instead call them and be proactive in your relationships and say, hey, um, let's go let's go down to the uh, the flood wall and check out the views down there, or let's yeah. run around Belle Island here in Richmond, or or it doesn't have to be running and it doesn't have to be physical. It just has to be anything that's not food. Yeah. So if you were to find yourself in a situation, let's say as an extreme example, you're going to your families for mm -hmm. Thanksgiving or something. So, uh, in kind of that situation, like yeah. how do you deal with that? It's like, you're already surrounded by food. Yeah. There's not really that much you can do with it other yeah. than just saying, 
like see a family like I'll, <laughs> I'll i'll see you like 10 years down the road when i'm super fit or something right. how do you how do you start building in those habits so that's that's a Thanksgiving and family events that have like really high emotional significance, Christmas, that sort of thing is just really tough. Yeah. You can still minimize the effort that, that it takes. Uh, it, it's, there's no magic solution and it's not going to be easy no matter what you do. But, uh, for example, um, don't show up to Thanksgiving dinner hungry yeah. before you come. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's setting yourself up for success <laughs> yeah. because now you can maybe just pick at the steamed veggies, right? Yeah. Um, if you show up hungry, you know they're going to have a spread, right? Right. And you know that it's going to be triggering stuff. I mean, you're setting yourself up for failure there, right? Yeah. So you can also, like, think about those other halt factors, right? And, I mean, this is going to sound, in a way, silly, and I think most people don't think about these sorts of things, but get a good night's sleep before Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah. All right? Because it's like you're charging your batteries to be able to deal with something that you know is going to be difficult for you. So don't go in with your arms tied behind your back. And But, but like, look, it's still going to be hard, right? Yeah. So, again, this is not about eliminating the effort. It's about making it less. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, I love that. And, um, and another thing that we've seen you do is just, like, get all over your, your meal prep game and just, like, have that, oh, like, yeah. all locked down. So So maybe if you go to Thanksgiving or some other – like social event, whether it's family or friends, um, like literally like, I love that not show up hungry. That's huge. But then show up and have like macro friendly snacks that, Definitely. uh, that you know, you can eat when you get hungry and, so, like, and still eat with them. Yeah. Exactly. We're all, we're all lazy. Okay. Yeah. To some degree. And so if you know this about yourself and you know that you want to be comfortable, it's like, do your future self a solid and prepare some food so that there's never the case that you walk downstairs and you're in the kitchen and there are only bad options available and there's no good options, right? Yeah. In fact, that's where I have tripped up and where I've made mistakes is like when my meal prep ran out. Yeah. You know, it's like I ate my last set of TVP burgers yesterday, right? And now it's uh, lunchtime the next day and I'm really hungry and there's nothing good around and I'm pressed for time because I've got to get back to a work meeting. Right. That's when the bad thing is going to happen, exactly. right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think meal prep is important because it allows you to be lazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it minimizes the amount of energy it takes to do the right thing when you are hungry and when you are pressed for time. And so... If you meal prep properly and you get things into plastic bags or saran wraps, making a meal should take you two minutes in a microwave. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's laziness, and that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and don't push that off until you're like famished. Yeah, that, yeah, that's <laughs> because, right. Because yeah. that, like you just said, that's when you're setting yourself up for serious uh, uh, yeah. failure. That's right. So you're 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 hungry, you're angry, you're pressed for time, and really you're going to go into the kitchen and cook yourself a 45-minute sumptuous vegan meal? <laughs> <Right>. Really? <Yeah. laughs> that's macro-friendly. That's macro-friendly, yeah. and that's, you know, perfectly balanced in yeah. every way, right? I mean, so I, I, again— and carefully measured out. <laughs> this is not about becoming superhuman and right. having better willpower and, and, and more perfect mentality than anybody else. It's yeah. about not putting yourself in bad situations. Yeah, exactly. So uh, your third tip that I um, that I wrote down is uh, this idea of eliminating rela- eliminating relationships that are built entirely around food. And I know you touched on this uh, just a little bit ago, but uh, you call these relationships a form of mutual self destruction. So could you touch on that a little bit and explain how you've done that in your own life? Yes, yeah, so I think that this most often comes up uh, around. Um 
alcohol is a really common one. Yeah. There are friends that only really want to hang out because they're getting a buzz on. Yeah. Um, or there are friends who want to hang out and it's a, it's like every time they call you, it's somehow about trying that new dessert place. Yeah. And, um, what, what, okay. So some of your friends, you can rearrange things and you can say, let's go do these other activities. Right. Some of them are going to say no. Okay. Because they want to see you. They really do. But secretly, it's also about the food, right? right? right. So if they have an unhealthy relationship with food, they're going to look for somebody that they can draw in and where you can basically both do the wrong thing together and give one another cover. Yeah. Okay? To make and, them feel good. Uh, yeah, to, so or, or, or to at least make them feel less bad or to exactly. sort of normalize yeah. or make acceptable what they're doing, right? And I mean, I know I've been there. I've probably been the other side of that at various points of my life, yeah. right? And so some of those friendships uh, don't survive, right? right? Um, it's, they can't. They, they, they can't, right? And I was never able to figure a way to keep all of those friendships that were based on some, some maybe negative things um, and, and still hit my goals, right? When I quit smoking... Uh, there was a group of friends that I have. You'd meet at a bar. You'd have some beers. You'd smoke some cigarettes, right? And when I quit smoking, I had to remove myself from bars because it was just too much of a of a trigger, right? Like, what do you do when you're drinking a beer? You smoke a cigarette, yeah. okay? This was actually, I, I guess I'm old, but this was when you could still smoke in that, <laughs> indoors, all right? Oh, you're not that old, <laughs> right? And so, like, these were some of my good friends, and you'd talk to them over beers and so on, and then so you start, you, you stop showing up to the bar. Okay, because you need to quit smoking, right? Some of them I would still see. Some of them I never saw again. All yeah. right? And then six months on, you got to ask yourself how much of that friendship was what they thought of me and what I thought of them, and how much of that friendship was beer and cigarettes. Right, right. Right? Exactly. And some friendships, I, I just, I don't mean to be too brutal, but it's really about the food. Yeah, yeah. And those friendships maybe not, maybe shouldn't survive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah, you're, both probably well you definitely are better off maybe not them but but it's like it's like that relationship was never serving you in any way so so it's not really even it would be maybe a stretch to even call it a friendship so right well you're you're also helping them to do the wrong thing it's like you're you're mutually reinforcing one another right you're 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 giving a proper place and acceptance to this bad thing that you're both doing right Yeah. yeah and uh um, by, by leaving that behind, uh, you know, you're not hurting them. Right. Right. So the friendships that maybe um, that, that should actually maybe survive beyond that, but in a different context or different setting, yeah. uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, saying this alternative phrase, it's like, no, I don't want to go out and eat or no, I don't want to go out to the bar, but I'm about to take my kids to the par- park. Like, yeah. you want to go with me? Yeah, like, yeah, and and if they say no to that, then then yeah, it's not that's not a friendship for you. If they're like, right. you know what, that's a really good idea. I'd love to do that. Then that's something you can work with. Like, if you guys have a, if two people have a connection and you really enjoy one another's presence, then then the, the sort of thing that you're you're gonna put that around, uh, they'll roll with it, right? Yeah, because they're a good friend of yours, and because it's still gonna be something fun. You're gonna right. go bowling. You're gonna go for a walk. Whatever that whatever the activity is gonna be, it's still gonna be something fun. It's gonna be great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, where they won't follow you is when it was about the food. Right. Right. When it wasn't, when it really wasn't a friendship to begin with. Yeah. So people don't actually consciously know that. Right. 
you don't have friends in your life who are like, I'm only seeing him because it's about the family, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> yeah. But but remember, everybody's trapped in their own heads and they have their own stress to manage. Yeah. Right. Um, they have their own problems to overcome. And if this is sort of like a form of self-medication for them, yeah, they're going to refuse to stop taking the medicine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so true. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the fourth tip that I that I have here, and I know that all of these kind of overlap, but um, it's this idea of choosing activities that will help you, not undermine you. So as an example, like um, deciding, hey, I'm going to go to the park, or hey, I'm going to go on a yeah. hike or something. I'm not going to go to the bar. I'm not going to go to the restaurant. I'm not going to go to the movies. Uh, even though that seems harmless, I know I'm going to have to walk by the popcorn, right. Right. and I'm going to have to eat. It's all about mental associations, at least for me. Yeah. Um, sitting down on the couch and watching TV, what does that go with? That goes with snacks. Yeah. yeah. You know, what does going to the bar go with? It goes with drinking beer. All right. Um, you, you don't usually see um, somebody who is like going for a walk with their dog with a gigantic bag of Lay's in their hand. Okay. <laughs> all right. So you see That's how a like, great example. That, yeah. that activity pairs very badly with overeating. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, again, I think that this is very unique and personal for each person, but if you look through your daily habits, you're going to see where your snacking is. You're going right. to see where the overeating happens. And then what you're going to want to do is pick a different set of daily activities. Yeah. All right. Um, you know, is it really that much of a sacrifice in the end to stop watching TV? Or to do something else, you, it doesn't have to be physical. You don't have to work out all the time. You don't have to be perfect, right? You just have to disrupt the pattern and put in other activities. So, like wh- right now, my wife is doing um, uh, pottery, like pottery yeah. classes, right? Yeah. And so, when your hands are covered with clay <laughs> and you're manipulating it, this is this is a behavior that does not go well with overeating, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, if you you know you could say, hey, I want to develop myself as a person. I want to get into my artistic side. I want to play the guitar more. I want to do pottery, right? Yeah. You're not going to be overeating while yeah. you're playing the guitar. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah, I play the drums, and I can honestly say I've never eaten while playing the drums, yeah. <laughs> or probably haven't like, even thought about it. Right. Yeah. So, I'm just thinking about bashing some yeah. drums. <laughs> you can get into this really positive mindset. Well, wow, think about this possibility. All of these new things are now opening up to you. You have a certain set of patterns in your life that are not serving you well. Yeah. That are feeding into this thing that you do not like about yourself. What if you were to approach this creatively and you were to say, I can delete that from my life and I can add in other activities that not only are going to make it easier for me to do the right thing, but that are going to add new valuable stuff to my life. I could take yes. an art class. Yeah. I could learn a new skill. I could learn how to speak another language. Yeah. I could meet a new community of people. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so it's even better then, oh, this makes it easier not to overeat, right? Yeah. yeah. You, th- These are the tiny little steps of, you know, people say, how do I change my life, right? Well, again, it's not a black or white thing. You don't flip a switch and like, oh, bam, my life has changed, right? Yeah. But, but choosing to go to an art class on a Tuesday night instead of sitting on the couch and watching TV right. is a step in the right direction. And it doesn't take that many of those things to make huge changes. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. That, it's that it's is... entirely true, and that's why 
that's exactly why we don't have a TV in our house. It's because we um we had it for a little while, and then we every once in a while we were like, okay, we just need to kind of like de-stress yeah. a little bit. Let's play a little why, video games. Why don't we play some video games? And then it's the yeah. video games, and then you grab the snacks, and then you just waste the next five hours doing complete <laughs> okay. nonsense. So I got a question for you guys, though. So perfect setup, right? You used to watch TV and play video games because you needed to de-stress. That is a completely perfect and normal thing. Everybody yeah. needs to de-stress. Right. Everybody's got stress. So my question is, what did you replace it with? How do I, you de-stress now? I, I, I do yoga. You know, okay. I, I I end my day with yoga, and that's usually the time when we would go on the TV or something like that, or I would listen to an audio book and like gain some more knowledge. Yeah. Um, or knock out some push-ups, you know, it's like, I, I always do something that, um, that keeps me progressing and not mm -hmm. like just slows me down yeah. because yeah. I know, like we talk about momentum all the time. I find every little thing that I can do to maintain that momentum. And, uh, like Lay said, it's like the TV is just draining and yeah. it, it doesn't progress you at all. It just, like, freezes you in time. I totally agree about the TV, but what I'm getting at here is the substitution principle. Right. You're not going to stop being stressed. Yeah. Okay? That's just life. It's going to happen. All right? But you found some positive outlets right. where you're still meeting the same psychological need, but you're doing it in a way like now you're getting new knowledge out of, a, out of an audio book yeah. instead of, you know, melting your brain on video games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's nothing that de-stresses me faster than sitting behind a yeah. drum set and listening to uh, funk guitar and just yeah. playing along with that. Yeah. It's like, that is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. I absolutely love doing that. And it's just, it goes by in a blink, just like TV does, but it's that outlet. In fact, it's yeah. way more effective than sitting in front of the TV because I know when I'm done the TV and I walk away, yeah, I might be a little less stressed, but then I realize, wow, I just wasted a ton of time. Yeah. I didn't progress myself. Now all the stress comes flooding back. Right. So yeah. to me, it's not even you. It's only a temporary like solution, and then when you're done the activity, it all comes flooding back, and it's even worse for me. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome, David. Like you were saying, like everyone's different. Everyone has these different substitutions, and we're three guys in the same room, and we are all like minded, three but totally we have completely different, substitutions. different things. Yeah, and it's going to be different for every new person that's out there. But it begins, I think, with. Being honest with yourself, if you look at the negative behaviors that are in your life, don't just say, oh, I suck because I'm doing this bad thing, right? Try to get to a level of understanding of why am I doing this and what yeah. positive purpose does it suit for me? Is it getting me out of stress? Is it, um, you know, w whatever the case may be, right? And then understand that you can't just move to this new perfect life where all of your behaviors are wonderful and where all of your negative behaviors are gone. You're a human. You have weaknesses and flaws. You're going to have needs. And you better figure out a strategy for meeting those needs because that lizard brain yeah. <laughs> right, will assert itself. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I don't and I have yet to met a human. I have yet to meet a human being who has enough willpower to 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 hold down that lizard brain and to completely ignore their individual personal psychological needs and just plow through. That's, that's yeah, not yeah. what it's about. Exactly. Might be David Goggins. That's like population <laughs> of one on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Well, he still has his issues. Yeah, you know? I, know. <laughs> yeah I know. I, I but think, he, is, he is really strong I think mentally. it is. I think it is the answer is nobody. Like, yeah. like yeah. nobody uh, nobody can, can say that. Yeah. So, um, all right. So let's move on to tip number five. And uh, this is a an interesting idea that you brought up that um, that 
might not necessarily apply to everyone, but it's this idea of no refeeds, no cheat days, no um, extra snacks, no no anything ever because of that, what we talked about earlier. It's yeah. like whenever you take one little step, yeah. it just uh, – it snowballs in, yeah. in a very bad direction. So um, is that still something that you, you feel like is really important to your success? Definitely, yes. And I mean, I, again, I'm just a guy. This is just my opinion. Yeah. I'm not saying that this is right or perfect for everybody, but but I feel that if you have a refeed or a cheat day or something, it's supposed the, the the reason that you would put that into your schedule is to like lessen some psychological pressure on yourself, right? Yeah. Uh you know, it's like if your diet is really grinding and you have a cheat day and then you can go back to your diet, then maybe you don't feel like it's as grinding, right? Yeah. For me, that totally backfires. If I have a cheat day, what it does is it screws up my uh, uh, my consistency and my momentum. Yeah. And now I have a hole to climb out of, right? And so that's not positive. That's not helpful. It's not serving the purpose of what a cheat day is supposed to do, okay? So I got rid of it. One of the things that Anders told me months ago is that you have to just kind of own up and stand up for what your plan is going to be, right? Yeah. I have to accept that some people are going to think that this thing that I'm doing is a little bit crazy or a little bit extreme, but they don't know me and don't know the inside of my head. I do. Yeah. I think that this works for me. It's producing health and strength for me, and so I'm going to go for it and ignore what they have to say about it. Yeah. All right? And that's a difficult thing in its own way to do, but it's a necessary thing because what's going to work for you and your pattern is not going to seem normal or average to somebody else. Yeah. 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 I think self-awareness is so vital to the whole process of, of improving your body composition, improving your fitness, improving your health, getting your nutrition in order. It's understanding all of these things that you're talking about, which yeah. I think are on the whole very applicable to everyone, but there are some like very kind of individualized uh, strategies yeah. that different people have to implement based on, uh, how well they know themselves and, and they know kind of like what they struggle with. If you improve your self-awareness and you study why you do the things that you do, I, I think you're probably going to come up with a completely different set of tips than what works for me. Yeah. But you're going to come up with something that works for you. Exactly. Yeah. And that's going to be right for you. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So thank you for your, your five tips. That's been super helpful. Um, are there any other like strategies that we haven't covered yet that you found to be really helpful um, uh, in making you successful in shredding fat and keeping it off? Uh, recruit some people around you, friends and family. Tell them what you're doing and try to get them to help you and give you some support in this. Not everybody is going to understand, but it's important that you not be completely alone in doing this. Uh, accountability is very important and get connected with the community. So we, we talked about earlier how the academy was important in that it, it sort of creates this peer group of people who are going through something similar yeah, yeah. and who are facing a lot of the same struggles. And I think that it's uh, particularly when you're unsure of yourself or when you have some weird thought and you don't know if that's okay or not, it's important to have a group of people who understands uh, what your history is, where you're going, what you're trying to accomplish, and who can provide some like context and some feedback right. rather than 
you know, saying something really generic like, well, I don't know what you should do, but this whole diet thing that you're doing seems really crazy and extreme yeah. to me. So, uh, yeah. want to meet me for beers on Friday? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, just tone yeah. it down a little bit. You've, you've gotten so much treat stuff your, done. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. You deserve yeah. it. Uh, that's I think I've, that's I think what I've it moves back to usually. Yeah. I think I've been thinking about constantly the last couple of months is, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody told me, you are the average of the five people you spend the most yeah. time yeah. with. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that uh, that that seems to have some truth to it. And so <laughs> yeah. if you're going to try to transform yourself, think about who you want to be and think about who those five people are and what influences they're having on your Precisely. life right now. Yeah. That 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 prompts some very difficult internal conversations yeah. for most people, right. I think. But it's yeah. it's absolutely critical. So I think that's really important. having the right tribe. Yeah, <laughs> so important. So, um, so what would you? I have one last question for you, and and that's this: What would you consider to be uh, maybe the one or two main principles uh, that you learned going through uh, the academy that really moved the ball forward most for you? Wow, I don't know if there's just one or two. But, uh, <laughs> okay, well you can yeah. you can do a list. So, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Important principles for me. Well, so you cannot outrun or outtrain a bad diet yeah. so if you want to shred fat most of that is going to be your diet uh weightlifting and exercise is going to be very helpful and useful too but it's going to be much more diet than it's going to be exercise yeah. i think that's a huge one yeah uh the importance of having some protein in your diet and shifting the way that you think the goal is not to lose weight the goal is to lose body fat yes, yes. there is a difference amen Boom. to that all right <laughs> And so if you lose muscle mass and you and you lose bone and you lose water, you are not progressing, right? right? And so you have to reframe and say it's about losing body fat. It's not about losing weight. Yeah. All right? And then, I mean, there's just so much to it, I guess. Like, <laughs> um, There are lots of moving pieces. Yeah. I, the, the, the biggest one, like if there's one thing, it's like study the structures and the patterns in your life. Understand why they are what they are. And then replace what you can to to aid your goals. Don't try to be the perfect person with the strongest willpower who ever existed. You do not need that in order to accomplish this. Yeah. Yes. What you need is to play on an easier mode and understand yourself better. Yeah. Boom. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, David. You're an absolutely amazing guy, and it's been a pleasure to get to know you as we've kind of gone through this uh, coaching uh, process together. So. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on here, and it's just been it's been such an honor to watch you transform your body and uh, over the past few months. And uh, I know Anders and I are both yeah. really grateful to call you a close friend now. Well, if not friend, like family. <laughs> yeah, and thank you guys very much too because uh, the program and what and what you guys gave me has been a really critical part of creating that self-reinforcing positive loop for myself, and it's not something I'm ever going to forget. Hey, what's up? It's Leif again. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Now, as you heard, David went through our one-on-one -on -one coaching program and radically transformed his life. This coaching program was called the Vegan Gains Academy until about two weeks ago. We've actually been working to upgrade the academy and we just relaunched it as the Vegan Superhero Academy. It's basically the 2.0 version of the Vegan Gains Academy. It's just way more awesome and way better. So whether you want to get toned abs for summer 
armor, build strength, supercharge your health, drop 30 pounds, build lean vegan muscle, whatever your goals are, the Vegan Superhero Academy will help you to achieve and exceed them. You'll have the opportunity to work one-on-one with two vegan fitness coaches, myself and my brother Anders, who truly care about you and your results, who will build you a customized step-by-step action plan, not some BS cookie cutter plan, to achieve your most ambitious fitness goals and more, who will teach you our system for creating sustainable, long-term results within the academy and beyond, who will provide daily accountability, support, and encouragement to make sure that you have absolutely everything that you need to be successful. If that sounds like the coaching program that you've been waiting for, then I'd like to invite you to apply to our Vegan Superhero Academy by heading to VeganSuperheroAcademy.com. Again, that's VeganSuperheroAcademy.com. The link is in the episode show notes as well if that's easier than just typing it out in your browser. When you head to VeganSuperheroAcademy.com, you'll also get to see testimonials from other clients who have gone through the program as well. So if you are ready to commit to transforming your life, then I look forward to seeing your application, talking with you about your goals, and working with you to build a plan of action to achieve them. So that's going to be a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for your time, attention, and support. We absolutely love you guys. I hope that you have a freaking fantastic week. And until next time, keep challenging the freaking status quo.